Welcome to the MPYA podcast. MPYA is a gathering designed specifically for young adults. In this podcast, you'll hear messages from our gatherings as well as conversations that we hope will help you navigate these defining years of your life. We hope you'll join us as we explore practical ways we can follow Jesus in our everyday lives. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at North Point Young Adults and subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. But with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode. Matthew McConaughey voice right there. Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, let's bring it back in. Y'all can find your seats. I love it, so good. Man, I am so excited to be back at North Point Young Adults. I missed last time. I'm excited. I don't know about y'all. I don't know if it was because I missed last time. I don't know if it's the worship or what's gotten into me, but I feel like I am pumped to be here, and I believe that um, God has a word for us tonight. I feel like he has given me this, and I have been literally thinking about this for the past couple weeks because I've been on vacation and um, getting ready for this and thinking about it, and I feel like, man, I just want to get this out. So um, I'm so excited to bring this word to you and teach it a little bit. Um, If you have been tracking along with us, you know that we've been in this series called Asking for a Friend, relationship questions we all have, but no one wants to ask. And tonight, we're kind of wrapping things up. We're in the finale. And so we're going to talk about a thing that I personally love, which is marriage. I love marriage. I love being married to Allie. It's one of my favorite things. It's amazing. And I promise you, she's not paying me to say that. Like, I legit love being married to Allie. Even when we don't always agree, even when I have to do the dishes late at night because she loves the dishes being done every single night, Even when I find myself at a Taylor Swift concert and paid way too much money to go, despite all of that, I personally love marriage, and I would choose her over and over again if I had to do it again. I love being married to her. But I know going into this talk that that is not the case for everyone. I know that not everyone has the greatest marriage, the perfect marriage, the ideal marriage, that I know that some people have broken marriages. I personally in my family have broken marriages. I've experienced broken marriages in young adults who get married and before a year is up, before two years is up, they are already leaving each other. They are already potentially getting a divorce. As we know, the divorce rate continues to be pretty high in America. And even there are some singles who are, their desire is to be married. They long for marriage and it just doesn't seem to happen for them. And so, because of all of this, I have sensed this growing cynicism toward marriage. That maybe we've started to realize and question the fact that professing our love for someone in front of a bunch of people, our family and friends, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to stay together forever. That maybe even the perfect wedding with the perfect DJ and the perfect flowers and everything is so amazing, despite all of that, maybe that's not actually going to lead to the perfect marriage. That's not going to lead to the perfect thing, the perfect relationship. And because of how easy it has become to hit the eject button or get out of a relationship, some people have decided um, that it's just maybe meaningless, that marriage actually doesn't mean that much, which leads me to the question that I want to talk about tonight And it's this, do I even really need to get 
married? Do I even need marriage? Maybe you've thought this before. You're currently wondering, do I need marriage? Like, is it just kind of this old timey thing? Like, I feel like I can have the relationship I want. I can find the woman I want or the man I want, and we can just kind of do our thing. We can live together. We don't really need marriage. Like, why do we need it? What is it for? What is it exactly? Um, is it just a sheet of paper? Is it just like the government's doing? It's like this thing that they've created. Is it just so I can have sex, maybe? Is it just a social construct we've kind of created, but it's kind of run its course and we're just kind of done with it? And as I say all this, you're like, oh man, is he right? But then there's others of you who are pushing back and you're like, no, 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 Clay, Clay. It's about love, bro. Like, it's about love. It's the next step of lo in love. It's just what you do. Love wins. You got to get married if you're in love with the person. Love keeps us together. But what kind of love are we talking about? What, are we talking about the feeling, like a romantic type of love, the feeling of love? Because if that's what we're talking about, I don't know if that's still the best uh, thing to get married on. Like, I don't know if that's the thing that is going to keep people together forever because love is a feeling and feelings are unreliable. Feelings are a little bit fleeting. They don't always stick around. I love things at one point and then later in my life don't love them anymore. For example, I used to love Dunkin' Donuts coffee with cream and sugar. Anybody else? Emmett? Okay. I used to love Dunkin' Donuts coffee with cream and sugar. Now, it disgusts me. Like, the thought of getting to the bottom of the cup and tasting the sugar that at the bottom, that's gross. Like, I can't imagine putting sugar in my coffee anymore. Feelings change. And so it can almost begin to feel like feelings are a fad. Like, me liking the coffee is kind of just like a fad. And so when we're talking about forever, when we're talking about our forever person, this thing that we're going to be in for the rest of our lives, do we really want to base it on a fad, a feeling, something that changes constantly. So why get married? Tonight I wanna look and explore why this is even a thing, why it is necessary potentially. And in order to find out, I thought one of the best places to start would be to just figure out where did marriage even begin? Like, where did it come from legit? Like, I just wanted to know, is there a story that we could look back at in our past and figure out, okay, that tells us a little bit. And when we look at it, maybe it gives us some insight or it tells us a little bit more of why it was created, what it's for, and why we need it. And so I took the liberty this past week to just do a quick little Google search. Where did marriage come from? And as soon as I searched it, the first article from a seemingly credible source said, told me that, told me this. I wrote, uh, it should be on the screens, yep. The first recorded evidence of marriage ceremonies uniting one woman and one man dates from about 2350 BC in Mesopotamia. From there, it evolved into a widespread institution embraced by the ancient Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans. Okay, so apparently we can only trace marriage back to 2350 BC with Mesopotamians, which that's just somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, there was a place called Mesopotamia, for those who don't know, didn't take history in school. Cool. It goes on. It says this, but back then, Marriage had little to do with love or with religion. Marriage's primary purpose was to bind women to men and thus guarantee that a man's children were truly his biological heirs. 
Through marriage, a woman became a man's property. In the betrothal ceremony of ancient Greece, a father would hand over his daughter with these words, I pledge my daughter for the purpose of producing legitimate offspring. Pretty romantic, right? Like that's next summer's romantic comedy coming out. I can picture it now, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson coming together, holding hands, looking at each other, lovingly gazing at one another. And Matthew says, I'm going to marry you so that people know who my kids are. And then they ride off into the sunset, and it's an amazing film, something you all want to go see, right? Ladies, this sound interesting to you? Marrying someone for this reason? Being owned by a man, apparently? No, I don't think anyone would be interested in that. And so reading that, I'm thinking, no one, like, with the way that women have gained freedom these days, there's, there would be a hard pass. Like, they would be like, nah, not doing that. And so when I, and when I play out the secular view in the, of the history of marriage, I'm like, there's no way if that was the beginning of marriage that we would still be doing that today. Like, with the freedoms that we have gained, there's just no way that women would choose that. But here we are, people still getting married, people still desiring marriage. So there's got to be a deeper why. There's got to be something going on. There's got to be maybe a better history of marriage that tells me a little bit more why it was created or what it is for. And so the next source I went to was the Bible, which we know that the Bible is actually dated further back than 2350 BC in Mesopotamia, but they wanted to avoid that. And so I pulled out the Bible and I went back to Genesis, which is where we're going to start tonight. If anyone brought their Bibles and wants to open there, we're going to be in Genesis 2. And in Genesis, it's the story of creation. It's how all of this began. God created uh, the ocean, the, the skies, the trees, the animals, and then he creates man and woman. And as we look, lo and behold, we actually see the first marriage. We see the first wedding ceremony take place in Genesis 2. It's literally a page over from creation. And so I want to look at that now, Genesis 2, 18 through 24. It's kind of long, so hang with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he, yeah, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So right after God creates man and woman, we see the very first wedding or marriage take place. Now, I just want you to see, did they get married because Adam wanted everyone to know that his children, children were legit? Like, was it for practical reasons? No, I think Adam woke up, he saw Eve, and he knew right away, she was made for me. That God had created a person to be like me and that we were actually made for each other. 
God had made this person to do life with him. It was like love at first sight. And I love his response. He actually responds with poetry. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Some think he's saying, meeting you fills a void in me. We were made for each other. The Hebrew word for helper is ezer, or a helper, companion, a friend. It's simply someone who corresponded to him in a similar way. And in that moment, they commit their lives to one another. And so I'm reading that and I'm like, okay, this sounds more like a rom-com. Like this sounds a little bit more like what we would be interested in. Like in our 21st century lens, we'd be like, okay, I can get on board with that. Like they just love each other. Like he thought she was attractive. I, I don't know what was going through Adam's head when he woke up and there was a woman there. Like do y'all, I, it's crazy. But what I want you to see in all of that is that marriage is God's idea. That this isn't something that man created or something happened in Mesopotamia where it was like, I want people to know who my kids are. I want um, to own this person and I wanna keep marrying more and more people. No, God gives us a clear picture of what marriage is supposed to be. It was God's idea. And the reason was because that God saw that man should not be alone and he made a way for two people to come together in a loving union. So if that's the case, as we continue exploring our need for marriage or whether or not it's something that we need to do, I feel like the best way to look at this is to look at what the person or who created it says it's about or why we might need it. And so for tonight, I'm gonna stay in the Bible to see what God says about marriage. So I wanna turn now to Ephesians 5, where we see the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And you gotta understand that Paul is writing into a culture that was much like what the Mesopotamians were talking about. They were in this Roman culture where no one cared about women really, like they were more like property. They were something that, um, it was just something to be gained, like something that they, they, they used them basically. And so Paul is writing into this culture. He's telling the church at Ephesus something about husbands and wives. And so I just want to read this to you. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're like, that has nothing to do with marriage. <laughs> You're like, why are you reading me that? But hang with me, here we go. The next three verses, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the reason I wanted to read that first part is because I know how often this passage is taken out of context. That men in the past have tried to use the Bible to, uh, as a power grab, to kind of continue this um, rhythm or this method of keeping women kind of beneath them, kind of like Mesopotamia. And that's so like men, man, jeez. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. What Paul is, Paul is writing and he's telling women that they actually have a choice to submit. Like it's not, they don't, they don't have to, but out of reverence for Christ, he's asking them to. He's maybe telling them they should 
do that. And also, he's actually pointing back to this mutual submission. So if you actually go into scripture, if you read the original Greek, what's interesting is that the word for submit actually isn't even in this portion to wives. That oftentimes in the Greek language, you actually have to supply a word from before. And so that's what's happening here. It's like, you can't even point that to me in the original Greek, but we need that word to be in there uh, for it to kind of make sense. But he's saying, we all submit to each other as Christians. This whole paragraph, really the whole passage is about walking in the spirit, walking in love as Christians, as people who are attending the church. And he's saying, we all submit to one another, that we all are willing to humble ourselves and serve one another. It's not just husbands and wives. That's an example, but it's all of us. We're all willing to submit to one another. The Greek word for submit is this little word, hiptasso, which means to arrange under. It really describes a self-giving love, a humility, and a willingness to die that is demanded of all Christians. Submitting in this context is simply putting someone else before ourselves. Ben Stewart defines submitting in this context as an inclination to receive and affirm a husband's leadership. It's more like you're just encouraging him, you're affirming him, you're for him. I remember, and yeah, and wives are called to specifically do this for their husbands, but husbands are called to do it for their wives as well. I remember when Allie and I were getting married um, in the ceremony, her dad was doing it. He actually said, the key to marriage is a submission competition. That the key to marriage is actually competing to submit to one another. It's not just wives submitting to men or husbands, it's husbands submitting to wives as well. And we are actually trying to outcompete one another to serve one another. And that's how you get into a healthy marriage. It doesn't hold a negative connotation. We're just constantly trying to outdo one another. And then ultimately you can feel safe in submission because you can expect the other to do the same. It's mutual, mutual submission. I just didn't want you to miss that first part. Listen to what Paul tells husbands, because I wasn't going to leave them out for sure. Verses 25 to 27, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Paul immediately turns to husbands and he tells husbands that they are to love their wives. Okay, and you're like, submit versus love? I mean, a little different. How? How, are they, how is he supposed to love her though? By laying down his life for her. By continually choosing her even when she messes up. By deciding to serve her. In this passage, love and submission are actually synonymous terms. It's not one versus the other. It's not competing they kind of go together. Submitting is loving, loving is submitting, and that is mutual submission. God bless you. And that doesn't sound so bad to be led by. If the husband is going to lead that way, okay, I can maybe get, I can maybe, maybe be for that, and vice versa. Guys are like, I thought I just had to profess my love. It's like, I thought I just had to show up for the wedding, take some pictures, say I do, and then we go home and maybe have sex and she makes dinner, it's perfect. And I'm like, dude, no, that's not marriage. That's not what happens. Paul says marriage is so much more than that. 
It's actually about giving your life to someone else, just like Christ gave his life for us. It's ultimately about becoming more like Christ. That's why in Ephesians, Paul keeps every single thing. If you, if you read it, he compares it to Christ in the church. The entire time, the whole flow is you're doing this in marriage because of Christ. You're doing this in marriage because of Christ and the church. That relationship gives us a picture for our earthly marriage, for our relationship on earth. Marriage is about sanctification. What does that mean? It means we start to become more like Jesus. It means that we start to become more holy. We produce the fruit of the spirit. Verse 26, that he might sanctify us. Verse 27, to be presented in splendor, holy and without blemish over and over again. It's something about sanctification. It's something about being more holy. It's about Jesus and the church. And as we do this, as we begin to produce the fruit of the spirit, these things come out of us and we start to become the persons that God created us to be. Slowly but surely, we start to become more like him. We start to look more like him. She starts to more, look more like him. The, he starts to look more like him and you're becoming this amazing person together. And as we look, serve and love and submit and help the other become more godly, then we will be doing what marriage was meant to do. I love this quote by Tim Keller. I feel like it fits perfectly here. It says this, <clears throat> what keeps the marriage going is your commitment to your spouse's holiness. You're committed to his or her beauty. You're committed to his greatness and perfection. You're committed to her honesty and passion for the things of God. That's your job as a spouse. Any lesser goal than that, any smaller purpose, and you're just playing at being married. It's harsh. <clears throat> but I believe that's true. This means that, yes, when you enter into marriage, you're going to find yourself doing things you never thought you'd do. Laying down your life for another person, thinking about another person, putting someone else before yourself all the time. That's difficult. I don't know if you've ever tried it before. It's hard to think about someone else a lot. And when you're doing this, you're going to end up cleaning dishes so that she can have some time to herself. You're going to encourage her to, find, to spend time with God. She's going to encourage you to maybe go to church. It's going to be this vice versa. You're going to buy stuff you never thought you'd buy. And slowly but surely, over time in your marriage, it's going to begin to chip off your pride. It's going to start to shrink your ego a little bit. It's going to make you think about yourself less. It's humbling, but it's amazing. It's so good. It's going to make you a better human being, a more holy human being. It's sanctifying. And it's all preparation to spend eternity with God in heaven. So marriage, number one, the reason I think it's important is because it's about becoming more like him. It's about becoming more like God. But there's a second reason I believe marriage is important, and it's this. <clears throat> because it also shows the world what he is like. Because it also shows the world what he is like. It's about becoming more like him, and it's also to show the world what he is like. Not just through our words, but with our actions. Our earthly marriages actually become a picture of the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. When we try to resemble what he modeled for us, our marriage begins to look like this one. All throughout scripture, we see Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride, dying for her, 
humbling himself for her, chasing after her despite the mistakes, despite the failures. He keeps running after and chasing after her. And this type of marriage begins to look a whole lot different than the one that the world came up with. If we look back to Mesopotamia, if we look at this secular history of marriage, this one is radically different. It's one that you begin to notice. It's one that you begin to take note of. And slowly but surely, it can even begin to change the culture around you. This is what happened in Rome. All of a sudden, people started to see Christians getting married and living this way. And it was like, oh, that, I, I think that's probably healthier. That's probably better for the future. That's probably better for people to count them as equals, to serve them, to love them, to humble ourselves and sacrifice for them. That's probably gonna be a lot healthier in the long term. And slowly but surely, marriage actually became a thing, the thing that we know today because of Christianity, because of the impact that they had in those days. And it's all because we look to Christ and the church. Christ pursued us. He laid his life down for us. He served us and is committed to being there for us always. Christ doesn't treat us like property. He chooses us. He serves us. He wants to be with us. And when we begin to see our earthly marriages through this lens and we live this out, we realize that this is the way it's supposed to be, that this is the type of marriage that lasts, that stands the test of time, that offers true freedom. And when we choose to live this way, we become a literal reflection of Christ. We become a picture. We illustrate it. We reflect him. Just by being married and submitting to one another, you begin to look a lot different than the world. You show people what marriage is really about. Marriage becomes potentially the greatest ministry that you can do. And I believe that that is true, that that's powerful, that you don't, you, you don't even need words potentially, that you can just live out your life in marriage and begin to show people who he is, that people could potentially be saved because of your marriage. If you live it out this way, if it becomes a picture to people of who he is to us. And it's not based on the feeling of love. Marriage is based on God, on love in action, not love as a feeling. So what's marriage all about? I said it, but I'll say it again. It's all about becoming more like him and showing the world what he is like. So then the question is, do I even really need to get married to answer? I'd say that depends on what you believe. Tim Keller, Tim Keller again says this, if people do not believe in permanent marriage, it is perhaps better that they should live together unmarried than that they should make vows they do not mean to keep. It's true that by living together without marriage, they will be guilty in Christian eyes of formulation, but one fault is not mended by adding another. Unchastity is not improved by adding perjury. But if you believe that it was created by God and you're not called to singleness, then I say you should definitely get married because it can be the most sanctifying thing that you can do. And because it's literally a picture, it's a way to tell the world about Christ and the church and what Christ has done for us. It's powerful. And I would just close with 
Don't let culture dictate your view of marriage. Don't let imperfection of earthly marriage sway you from the perfection of it. You may be turned off of marriage because of family background, because of divorce, because it makes you scared of it or you hate it, but God's design is perfect. And if we follow it, we're gonna continue to live and make it great. If he gives us the guide, it can be great. It is great because he designed it, he created it, and he gives us the owner's manual. He gives us the instructions on it. All we have to do is take it, read it, and apply it to, to our lives. God knows what's best for you. He created it. He created you. He created marriage. So take direction from him. Let him show you the way. It's about becoming more like him and showing the world what he is like. Thanks for tuning in to the NPYA podcast. To learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at North Point Young Adults or head to our website, northpoint.org slash youngadults. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss one. See y'all next time.